something happened that just, you know, very, very quickly we put a man on the moon, which is, you know, in evolutionary terms, it's like, what the hell happened? It's just hockey stick and creativity. Well, his theory was we stumbled upon psilocybin and other plant medicines. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You are so lucky. You know why? Because you're hearing this podcast at a time in history where there's blue blocking eyewear that doesn't suck and make you look like a total nutcase. When I first found out that being exposed to artificial blue light at night trashed my melatonin and then ultimately my sleep, which leads to a trash life, I was super bummed because if I wanted to go out in public, I had to wear these horrific really lame blue blocking glasses that a probably really didn't work because they were kind of yellowish they weren't like the right spectrum it really cuts out the blue and green light like raw optics do but now alas we're all super stoked because we can protect our melatonin and our sleep by wearing blue blocking glasses that are really well designed and super cool looking Um, people barely even give you a second glance because you look somewhat normal which is awesome. So you can be kind of like a low-key, down-low biohacker and people just think, at worst, like, oh, that guy's kind of weird. Like, does he think he's cool wearing his sunglasses at night? If they just think that, I don't really care. If they think I'm weird and I also have really bad taste in eyewear, well, that's a double lose and I'm not willing to pay that price, even for quality sleep. But seriously, I'd love for you to go check out my buddies over at rawoptics.com. That's spelled R-A, rawoptics.com, where you will find some scientifically valid and also very well-designed, fashionable glasses. That's rawoptics.com. The code over there, because you know I got you a code, is Lifestylist. That's going to save you 10% off at rawoptics.com. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. We're about to blast off with yet another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Today's guests are Keith and Michelle Norris, a couple of OGs in the paleo community and the co-founders of Paleo Effects, one of my favorite yearly health and wellness conferences at which, once again, I'll be a speaker this April 2020. Here's what we talk about in this conversation, incidentally recorded in London, on the heels of the Health Optimization Summit, of which Keith and Michelle are also involved. The psychotic break that birthed paleo effects, why Michelle started the paleo diet kicking and screaming, and the incredible transformation that occurred once she submitted. The surprising number of similarities between the paleo diet and a vegetarian diet. The problems facing the current paleo movement. How holistic, regenerative farming practices can save the environment and your health. How Epic Bars is changing General Mills and not the other way around. The detriment of living in a human zoo of our own design. The seven pillars of health to focus on for complete health and longevity. The world of paleo psychotherapy and how plant medicines saved their marriage. Finally, how paleo effects uses human design as the basis for their human resources department and all hiring. Incredible story from these two fascinating people. We had a really good time sitting down and having this chat. 
Before we get into this conversation, I want to give you a heads up about a couple upcoming shows. This Friday, I'll be dropping another Q&A solo show where I talk about oxygen therapy, my rewilding practices, and a deep dive into gut health. The next Tuesday, we'll be back on the same thread as today's show, really with my old buddy, Daniel Vitalis, who hasn't been on the show for a while. He was my number two guest, and he's back with a new project called Wild Fed how to become a modern day hunter gatherer. And I just want to give you a heads up on this episode and especially the episode with Daniel. I think I'm actually going to put asterisk vegan trigger warning in the title of that show um, because we talk about some you know rather controversial views about what humans are meant to eat and whatnot. So um, I always like to preface it with saying, you know, no offense. Um, these are just the points of view of myself and my guests and do whatever you'd like with them. It's just information, but that's going to be a really groundbreaking show on Tuesday, as is today's episode. So with that, my friends, I'd love for you to open your heart, open your mind, and welcome two of my favorite people in the world, Keith and Michelle Norris. Keith and Michelle, here we are. (laughs) My friends from Austin, Texas, we're chilling in London. We're highfalutin. We're fancy. We're here overseas across the right. Atlantic. Can we, you believe we had to come here to actually get yeah, yeah, right. get on each other's schedule? <laughs> yeah, that's total. It's totally funny. It's crazy too. Like scheduling in when the uh, you know the Apple calendars mm-hmm. want to sync up and stuff. And there's all these different time zones. Like I'll be in California. You guys are in Austin. Now we're over here. It's very confusing, but we made it. Yes. Uh, so you're the founders of one of the most. I think long-standing and biggest and most successful, wildly successful, well-known conferences in the health and wellness space called Paleo FX. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start at the obvious jumping-off point. What was the first uh, birth of that idea, and what was like the first step in making it happen? A psychotic uh, break. I think it was the first step. But, <laughs> All great uh, things insan- come out of a psychotic break. Yeah, insanity. We yeah, insanity. Actually, there's kind of a twofold backstory to Paleo FX. The original story of Paleo FX actually uh, started about 10 years ago. Our daughter, Brittany, was killed in a car accident three days before her 23rd birthday and a week before her college graduation. And uh, we held her first memorial service on what would have been her 23rd birthday. And at that memorial service, there were um, almost 700 people in attendance. And they had a receiving line for us. And Keith and I stood there and received most of the people that were at that service. And they were telling us how Brittany had changed their lives in very specific and profound ways. It wasn't just this, you know, superficial, oh, she changed my life. It was, she said this or she did that. And it was a little overwhelming for us, very humbling, of course, because in that moment, just, you know, 72 hours after you find out your child has died, um, you're standing there with all these people telling you how wonderful she is. It was very humbling, and we immediately knew that we needed to do something to carry on her legacy. So that was 2009. Uh, she was killed May 2nd, 2009. Her birthday is May 5th. And fast forward, 2000, August of 2011, we, we kind of thought her what her um, legacy would be was, was going to be something completely different. We had no idea what it would ultimately be. And um, one of the things uh, that we kept talking about was how she was a very gifted and beautiful musician and singer. She was a worship and music ma- ministry major. She had planned to be a minister and work in the mission field. 
And uh, she had all of these beautiful gifts and those were just definitely not ours. So we were trying to figure out how do you do that? How do you carry on somebody's legacy when this was what their gift was and this is not your gift? And then we just decided we needed to operate in our gifts. And that was that we knew food and nutrition and health and wellness and fitness. And so we fast forward to August, 2011, we are at the inaugural ancestral health symposium, which is a very decidedly academic symposium. And we were, Keith was speaking at that symposium. And when we were on the runway at LAX, getting ready to come back home, at the time we were partners in a very small but growing gym chain that was a boutique style training gyms uh, for one-on-one in very small group coaching. And we had a lot of clients, a lot of uh, people that we were coaching through the process of um, getting their health back and getting their nutrition and everything on, on track. And when we started talking and I'm a trained chef. So we start talking through all of this and my was like, okay, you know what they could do? They could really change this and it would be really great is if they could show people how to cook foods. If they could show people how to do the, the movements and the fitness and the, all of these things, if they could do all of these like hands-on things and Keith looks at me and he's like, it's an academic conference. They're not changing that. And then he had, he went, we should just probably do it. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, so PillFX was born on the runway at LAX in August of 2011. And by October, insanity had completely set in and we had decided we were going to do it. And on March 14th, 2012, which happens to be our anniversary, we launched PillFX. Really? Yeah, the, but the translation of we should probably do that, Michelle didn't know this at the time, was that you should probably do this. <laughs> right. Well, anyway, Which is why they wound that. up, yeah. <laughs> That's funny, dude. So, uh, and why does it have the letters FX? Oh, interesting end? story there. So just um, brainstorming ideas, trying to, trying to get together a, a brand, a, a marketing, an icon, something that we could relate to as a poli-sci major and decidedly not in any shape, form, whatever, math, dude. <laughs> Somewhere in the back of my mind, this FX thing came up as functional. And uh, I remembered okay. that, oh, functional. And that's exactly what we wanted to convey was that we are a functional event. Not just theory, but how do you put this theory into an everyday life practice? And I just kind of threw it out there. Well, it's like FX, functional. Yeah. So were you guys early adopters? I mean, if you're going to the symposium on ancestral health, is that, does that have anything to do with the Weston Price thing or is that a different one? Weston Price obviously is a foundational, a lot of paleo, but right. honestly, it we became paleo in 2004 and 2005. Oh, damn. And you guys were old school. Early OGs, adopters. man. I we're guess not as early OG. as the original Paleolithic people. But no. <laughs> but we got there as fast as we could. Yeah. So, um, it's How many funny. years late? 60,000 years? What is it? Right. <laughs> Just a little late to the game, but... Just, yeah. It's funny because actually uh, who got us involved in Paleo was Rob Wolf and Art Devaney because they were right. on an old school forum back in the dial-up days. And they were all talking about this paleo thing and celiac and all of that. And what was interesting to Keith was he recognized the symptoms that Rob was talking about were my symptoms. And I had been diagnosed with early, early onset rheumatoid arthritis, misdiagnosis, by the way, IBS, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, every kind of conceivable really? autoimmune thing yeah. that was going on. It was happening in my body. And what, what was interesting is 
it took him about a year to convince me to try this. And and I'll, let me go back just a tiny bit. I'm, as I said, I'm a trained chef. My specialty was Italian. So oh, I made my bummer, own. Right. <laughs> yeah, total bummer. Oh. Pizza and pasta dough. And so it was really difficult to... I didn't come into paleo in a happy way. I came in kicking and screaming. And what's odd about the whole thing is, is that I was paleo for probably about three weeks when everything went away. All the symptoms were gone. And then... Uh, what? Three weeks? Three mm-hmm. weeks. What? Uh, I was done. I had no more symptoms. I literally was sick every single time I ate. And the thing is, is that we didn't have, we would have considered ourselves eating very healthy because we ate at home almost all nights. I cooked most of our food. The only thing that we ever really did, like where we would go and have junk food or processed food is when our kids would be like, it was just going to be a late night. And our kids had, you know, sports or what have you going on. Or, you know, Brittany was in inquire and drama and all of that. So if we had anything like that, where it limited our ability to cook at home, then we would maybe, you know, hit a Jersey Mike's was one of the, our favorites. We would hit Jersey Mike's. I don't know what it is, but it sounds unhealthy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like a deli type, you know, Subway sandwich kind of thing, but it was all, everything was all homemade. They brought all, you know, made all their stuff. So that was probably the, the max of our junk food, chips occasionally in the house. Occasionally some cookies. Most of the time I made my own stuff. So we've had our own, but so many refined carbohydrates. That was what the real serious problem was, was there's just too much carbohydrates. And then for me, not Keith so much, or even the kids, I really had a horrible sweet tooth. So I had, I would drink a lot of Dr. Pepper, which was, uh, that was hardest to get rid of, by the way. And, um, but literally three weeks and everything was gone once I went paleo. And then um, I was a food writer. I wrote and developed recipes for a number of food websites. I didn't stop that at that point because I was in this like state of denial. Like some point I'm going to figure out how to put all this stuff back into my diet. But I was really pissed that I had to get rid of these foods that I loved just to be healthy. And so, um, yeah, so it was an interesting dilemma there. And it took um, a few weeks later, I had been paleo for about six weeks and uh, our son plays a select baseball and they were out of season for about 12 weeks. So we hadn't seen any of the parents or any of the kids or anything. And, you know, when you're on a standard American diet, the sad diet, you as a woman, you yo-yo a lot. And so your sizes in your closet or anywhere, mine was anywhere from a six to a 12. And um, uh, when I would diet to really lose weight, it was a process that everybody in the family paid for. You know what I mean? I was just miserable. Right. It's just calorie restriction and the whole, it was all the stuff you're not, you shouldn't do, right? And Kate's like, honey, I, I really wouldn't mind if you put on a few extra pounds. <laughs> you just be nicer. <laughs> right, right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always that give and take, right? <laughs> yeah. But what was interesting is I had, I started going down in sizes and I hadn't, you know, I didn't notice it because it was normal to go up and down in size. That oh, was okay. normal. Right. So we, like I said, it was about six weeks into paleo and we're first game, our son's game. We show up and all the parents are showing up and they're like, oh my God, you look amazing. You've lost so much weight. Your skin looks so glow. It's glowing. You look so vibrant. You're just like, what in the world have you done? Well, I hadn't done anything. I definitely didn't diet. I wasn't miserable. I wasn't being restricted like, I mean, obviously I was, had a, you know, an emotional attachment to some of the foods that I ate, but I, 
wasn't physically hungry, which normally when you diet, you're hungry, hangry, whatever, you know what I mean? And I didn't have any of that. And that was, that for me was the moment that the light bulb went off and I went, oh shit, this is stuff that could help people. Oh my God, I got to do something about that. And Keith says, that's the day the paleo evangelist was born because I'm one of those people that if something works for me, everybody's going to hear about it. And so that's kind of where we ended up getting started. But Wow, cool. And yeah. so being early adopters, um, you know, for, I think now at this point, people have a basic idea of what paleo, we'll just, you know, start with the diet part because mm-hmm. I want to really expand into kind of paleo life because mm-hmm. um, I think that's the root of our whole troubles, especially after the conversation I just had about autism mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, uh, woman that you met on the way in. But um, maybe Keith, could you give us, you know, a breakdown? Just pretend like the person listening has never even heard of a paleo diet. Like how would you, how would you describe it in its most fundamental terms? Right. So the easiest way to explain it to people is you're eating as close to the land as possible, right? So, so people kind of get hung up on this term of what is a refined food, right? Because really it, everything's refined. If you're cooking with fire, that is a refined food right? If you're butchering an animal um, and people can get hung up on those definitions, especially the more academic, you know, we'll get hung up on that. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Or like the the word processed too. I mean, if you shoot a deer, you got to process the deer. You don't just like walk over and take a bite of hide. (laughs) Right. I mean, (laughs) we hope not. Yeah. Well, some might, maybe maybe my buddy, Daniel Vitalis, he might do that. Yeah. But Um, yeah. But yeah, people get hung up on these terms, but you know, for us, and when we're teaching people who are new, and back when we back when we owned the gyms, and back when we were teaching people how to do this, on the and, and at that time, paleo was like no one knew what that was. It was kind of no, like no one knew what that nobody, term, yeah, no free one, celiac. Nobody knew what that was either. And I would just and so I would I would start off by saying, can we cut added sugars in your diet out? Because that's easy for most people to identify an added sugar. Right, you look at the back of a can of soda. Look at all that sugar in there. Right, and you start to get them to think in that way. Well, what is sugar? That's a highly refined food product. And so, can we take these initial steps to start eliminating these foods and see how you feel, and see if you can navigate those? Michelle brought up emotional attachments. People have emotional attachments to all kinds of things, especially foods. You can have an emotional attachment to a person, to an activity, to whatever, but foods for whatever reason, because they're, well, the reason is because there is a definite reaction within the body, right? There's a dopamine release. There's all of these things that occur. Um, so, they, so the trick is to get people to eat closer to the land as possible. So if you could, if, if you can harvest it, if you can hunt it, cook it, um, and to get them just to think that way. And I think for most people, the paleo diet right now, the easiest way to think of it is if it comes in a box, if it's wrapped, if it's all of these things, let's try to avoid it. And I always say, let's try to avoid it because paleo is not a black and white diet. And I think that's what hangs people up too, is that like, I want a prescription. I want rules to follow. But rules can never be followed over the long term. There's always a breaking point and people will always default to, to what they, what they learned previously. I don't know if that answers the question it, really well, it does. but it, it, it brings up a couple of points sure. too. Uh, I, I like this idea of the emotional attachment because I've noticed that um, 
say you take plant-based food and vegan food and it's always, well, not always, but oftentimes it's mimicking a comfort food. Mm -hmm. So you have fake meats and right. you know, like fake jerky and all this kind of stuff. It's like the food that either your body knows it wants or food that you have an emotional attachment to because you grew up eating it and you're comfortable, you know, eating whatever, right. that, you know, chicken wings that are made out of some God awful GMO soy. Or and there's something. an identification to an ideology as well. Right. So, you know, you know, vegan vegetarianism for so long, and at least in our country, and I would say worldwide, has been identified with a love of the environment and a love of animal animals and animal husbandry and all of these. And paleo is exactly that too. We just had a discussion at the uh, at the um, health optimization event with a with a woman who was a vegan or vegetarian. I can't remember what her particular leaning was, but she was like, Would I be welcome at Paleo FX? We're like, absolutely you would be. We agree on 90% of all those other issues. If you want to talk environmentalism, we are all about environmentalism. If you want to talk about proper animal husbandry, we are there. I mean, we might, well, we would disagree on that final step. Can I reconcile within my soul the taking of another entity's life? And I can, and I can justify that. If I, if I show reverence for the animals whose life that I'm taking. Um, and that's how I've justified it in my life. Well, now, maybe the vegan vegetarian can never justify that. I totally get it. That's cool. That's a, that's a spiritual soul conversation that we can have later down the line. But all of these other issues, um, for instance, um, CAFOs, confined animal feeding operations, the vegan vegetarian community and the paleo community, we're all on board on that. We want those eliminated. The environment, absolutely. We want the environment healthy. We want it thriving because that's the underpinning of human life. That's the underpinning of life on earth. Mm -hmm. So how can we best um, nurture that? In our opinion, the best way to nurture that is, is packs and just giant roaming herds of hooved animals. That is where the rubber, rubber meets the road in soil conservation and soil regeneration. Well, what to do with all these animals now? You know, we feel like they are the cycle of life, just what, just mm -hmm. like what we are. I mean, eventually we're going to go away and we are going to turn, we're all made of stardust, right? Yeah. We're all going to go back into the earth. We're all going to be recycled. Um, they're going to eat us. They're going to yeah. eat us. We, it's a cycle of life. This it's, is one of the issues too, that I think that there's, um, there can be a little bit of, um, I don't know how much vegans and vegetarians take a look at the fact that um, they just see that animals are sentient beings. Well, plants are too. Right. And so where do you draw the line? Is it because it doesn't have a face? Is it because you think it has no soul? Because I would venture to say that just about everything here has some type of feeling sentience. It's got something there. And the thing is, is that we're all here for each other because right. we're all ultimately connected. And so I, um, I, so we have, we're, we're working on having a girl come to Paleo FX this year who actually does um, these biospheres where she, the plants actually through their emotions and their moods create music. And it's an incredible. Oh, right. yes. yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. And um, it's really incredible. And I'm like, so it, we know we've had studies going back way, way back. We know that if you talk to a plant or you play music for a plant, the plant gl grows more. 
it is no different than we are. That's mm-hmm. how we are. We thrive on connection and communication and all of that. And if the communication is more negative, a plant will actually be depleted. And so we that's all scientifically proven. So it's one of those things. If you feel you can't take the, I totally understand that. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm definitely and fully support that to, too. fully support. If someone has, that's their moral and that's where they need to stand. And that's their value. Totally. Um, totally respect that. It's when we get into which one's healthier, we have science. We've got lots of it that shows we're far more healthy than having just a vegan and vegetarian diet. And I'm not saying paleo is for everybody. Paleo, um, I, but there's so many different paleo diets. Like there's not just one. So a lot of times a, a vegetarian diet can fall very easily under paleo, mm-hmm. depending on how they do it. Uh, since you guys were quite early in your adoption of this uh, diet and lifestyle, what's it looked like in terms of... Um, the commodity foods that are like labeled paleo from the marketing Ugh. standpoint, you know I mean? Mm. I, 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 I'm pretty much paleo, I guess. I never tried or even learned exactly what right. the guidelines are. I just know if I eat grains, I don't feel good. Right. If I eat gluten, I don't feel good. You know, it's just, there's a few kind of kryptonite foods I avoid. But what I have noticed is that when I go into a grocery store, a health food store, typically the foods that have some kind of paleo logo are going to be in alignment with what makes my body feel mm-hmm. good. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's all kinds of other shit that's out there now. I mean, you, there's like huge paleo sections because of the marketing and the the monetary, um, you know, motivation there by these even some of the Nabisco and these big companies are getting right. on board with it. You know, so what's it been like to watch the journey of um, you know commercial processed foods being labeled paleo and how much of that is bullshit? Well, uh, for for us, there two sides of the coin there. Right. I mean, super happy about a lot of it because. Obviously, when you have a little bit, bit more mainstream adoption and you start seeing that, then that means that people are being exposed to it that might not have seen it anywhere else. And they're like, hmm, what's this paleo thing? And then they're going to look into it. The problem is, is that there's no policing of it. There's no making sure that when, and if somebody goes to a package of whatever it is, crackers say, and they pick it up and it says that it's paleo and really in, in, when you look at the template of paleo, it doesn't align. That's where it it gives us a it can give us a bad name. So there there's where you know we try. That's one of the reasons why Paleo Effects we do our best to bring in as many new people into Paleo Effects every single year as we possibly can, because the more people get educated and know and understand and can really arm themselves with that kind of information. When they go to the grocery store, they are not picking up something and just blindly believing that it is a a food that um, is paleo, that they're looking for the labels um, that are out there, the different certifications, that type of thing that actually certify that that, this has been vetted as a product that is paleo. And so, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, we are excited to see so many really cool products coming on board because this is the thing at the end of the day. We know that compliance is one of the biggest issues for any type of diet, lifestyle, whatever. It's going to be compliance. And the easier you make it on somebody to comply and the easier you make it for them to make a switch over from what they're currently eating, which is generally usually sad diet or worse, is that when they have stepping stones to get there where they're not, they just don't feel like a lot of people feel like, Oh my God, it's so restrictive. Like I, 
I can't have any of my Cokes anymore. I can't have any of my whatever it is. If there are these different alternatives that are healthier to get them into the space a lot easier, we are, we actually, you know, embrace that. And we, you know, you know, we're all yes, victory for that kind of thing. What we don't like seeing is people who come over, who will come over to paleo and think that that's part of the daily diet. Right. It's not. That's the, that's the issue that's concerning. But at the end of the day, people are going to do what they want to do. They're going to eat what they want to eat. When they have healthier options and they choose, you know, say they choose Siete chips versus Cheetos, Doritos, or Fritos, amen. I'm all mm-hmm. for that. And I I'm, I'm, would prefer that they, you know, obviously keep that to a, a you know, a treat and, a, and a, an occasional thing. But if their typical thing was eating Cheetos, Doritos, or Fritos every single day, them coming over and eating Siete chips doesn't necessarily make them eating a healthy paleo diet. So these are still all treats and cheats and things like that. And we need to still think of them that way. The problem is, is that all of those foods became mainstream every day, every single day foods. You think about it, when we were kids, if we went to McDonald's, it was a treat. It was like you maybe went once a month. It wasn't something that was done on a daily basis through your car. I mean, you went and it was, you know what I mean? Or you went and had something you got to have maybe once every couple of weeks. Your, Your mom allowed you to pick some kind of, you know, treat at when you were at the grocery store and it just wasn't part of mainstream everyday eating. But unfortunately it became that way, mostly through marketing, mostly through TV, mostly through ads that are directed at kids on Saturday mornings while they're watching TV and their parents are trying to do whatever um, or sleep in or whatever the case may be. So that's, that's the problem is kind of getting everybody to unlearn that, that piece and saying, no, these are still sometimes occasional things. And we, we like to eat. throw in too, the don't let the perfect get in the, the way, way of the good. good mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right, and that's, right. that's a very important point to keep in mind. Another right. thing I would add is um, we see this a lot in the gluten-free world too. I would point out that sugar is in fact gluten-free. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not good for Aspartame you. Is, is it gluten-free? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So, you know, there, there's an education component to all of this, which we are very keen to to develop and push forward. Um, but yeah, it, you know, and just those little thumb rules, you know, how close to the earth is a Siete chip? It's a better option, but is it close to the earth? Is it the actual product, the raw product and, you know, cut and diced, sauteed, that kind of thing? No, it's not. So that kind of gives you an idea of where it falls on the healthy spectrum. And I think just those thumb rules, can I eat as close to the land as possible? Most times. I noticed when uh, I, don't know, I was looking at one of your pamphlets or something at the event last year and um, something about the guidelines for the vendors mm-hmm. and you have these rules if people want to bring foods right. into the property and they want to you know get a booth, right. like here's the list of the 10 or 20 or whatever there were. Like what right. are some of those things that are just like, no fucking way, this is not me. 52 our- actually. Are you yeah. serious? 52 banned ingredients. What, what yeah, are, I'll tell you. What, is, what are a few a, if, if there, if you see a an exhibitor on the PaleoFX floor, that exhibitor has jumped through hoops, especially if they are a food product. Mm-hmm. And we did that. Michelle did that very early on from the first show that we had. And let me tell you, after getting 
beat up financially that first show to turn down so many exhibitors who were willing to stroke checks. And we were like, can't take it. Now, this is the thing. I want people to be able to come onto that floor and not have to, unless they have an allergy, not have to look at the labels, not have to worry about taking a sample, not have to worry about their kids taking a sample unless they have a food allergy. Because, you know, there's still nut allergies and there's a lot of really good Mm -hmm. nut um, products, um, nut-based products that are at PaleoFX. So, you know, for those people, they have to worry about that or if they have issues with FODMAPs or they have issues with, um, you know, eggs or anything like that. So my that was the whole thing was I want a conference where I don't have to worry about, you know, my kid going up and taking a sample and getting sick or me having to the, end up at an emergency room with them somewhere and have their stomach pumped, you know. I just, uh, that was the big deal. So, yes, we have vetted them. They now, it, what happened a couple of years ago was some got, didn't really quite understand how strict we were going to be about it and brought products onto the floor that we found out that they were there. And we came to, when we found out, we were like, you have to remove these products. They cannot stay here. If you continue to have them, we're gonna have to ask you to leave. And when they realized how serious we were about it, and we were like, it doesn't even make sense for you to have those products here. Like, a lot of times I would even turn down people that had products that weren't in line with us. And then I realized that was actually not doing all, you know, a, a full service to everybody that's there. Um, because there were a couple of companies that I, I did. I wanted to do business with companies that believed in our message and believed what we were talking about as far as health was concerned. And so if they were still having products that had gluten say in it or soy or whatever or sugar in them even though they had a line that was paleo i was like nope you're just trying to take advantage of right now what's kind of a big huge trend is paleo is trending right now i don't want somebody that's just trying to take advantage of it. i want somebody that fundamentally believes in what we're doing so um we finally got to a point where we realized that there were a lot of really great products out there and the companies really believed in that but they also we're trying to cater to several different types of, of diets. And I thought, okay, if you're trying to, it's was more than niche things like, you know, vegans, vegetarians, they would have a vegan line. They would have a vegetarian line. They would have a paleo line. They would have a keto line. Okay. But they all stayed in that health space where it was not the same mainstream garbage. Like they're even their vegan vegetarian and, you know, whatever lines all had, they were all still fairly clean. And like they would even go so far as to not have soy even in the vegan line, which was, you know, that's like pulling teeth. I mean, that's the their mainstay of is protein is soy, which is terrible in our country. So well, I think that's one of the many things I like about you guys' conference is I know if I'm walking around the floor, I could just eat anything. Yeah. Right. And that's, there's not many places on, I mean, I can eat anything, you right. know, like I'm going to live, right? Sometimes I get some M&Ms. I'm like, I crush that shit. It's delicious. <laughs> Whatever, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I try not to That's be, just your DNA working against yeah, you. That's be, all it is. <laughs> I'm aware of orthorexia and I've been really extreme right, right. with different diets and stuff. Yeah. That said, you know, when I go into Whole Foods, I mean, and I don't put anything in my cart unless I'm familiar with it and it's already been mm-hmm. vetted to my standards or I'm going to read the ingredients. And if it has canola oil, safflower, right. any of that shit, I'm like, nope, put it back. It's right. just, I'm yeah. done. Um, 
So it's nice to be able to go somewhere and you're like, oh, I'm free. Yeah. yeah. I can just run around and like gorge on all the samples <laughs> and stuff and I don't even trip. And we get that feedback quite often. Oh, it's yeah. like awesome. People really appreciate the fact that, they, and especially their kids. I can turn my kids loose here right. and they can, you know. They're... There's a, uh, a restaurant in New York that's kind of uh, deli style. It's called uh, Hugh Kitchen. Yes. yes. You guys been love that, that place. place. Yeah, I was yeah. walking. This... They have the best chocolate. Oh, dude. Yeah. They, oh, yeah, they do. And their bars are everywhere now. Yeah. Right. But I was walking down the street. I'm like, you know, New York, it's hard to eat clean, especially years ago. I used to go there for work and it was, mm. I mean, it was really hard then. But yeah, I walked by and saw their sign and it was like, no refined sugar, no canola right. oil, no this. I was like, what? <laughs> Hell yeah. Grass fed the whole thing, right. you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, that's when I go to New York, it's one of the only places I just know I can walk in and eat and anything in there is going to be clean, okay, yep. you know? And, and that's, that type of, that type of experience really makes our day yeah. because we know we're having an effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I, just the fact that a that a entity like that can exist in New York that advertises the fact that they are clean, grass fed, you know, all of these things. I mean, that's a win for us, mm -hmm. huge win. Mm -hmm. I want to go into, you know, I've done a lot of shows where we talk about the differences with you know the vegan diet and plant based mm -hmm. diet and, and all this, and I've pissed off quite a few <laughs> plant based people because I have personal experience. I'm not, right. you know proselytizing from a place of not having had the experience. I did my, I was never vegan, but I was vegetarian for around 10 years and my health was just right. really, and I was in bad, bad shape, mostly as a result of the food I was eating. So any vegans listening, you know, this is not like us against them thing. I think it's mm -hmm. dumb to like base your personal identity on the type of fuel you put in your body. Right. Cause you're not even your fucking body anyway, <laughs> right, exactly. let alone yeah. the fuel you put in it. So let's just like put that out there. Right? right. Like I am not a meter. I'm not a paleo. I'm not, you know, right. anything. Uh, but I, I do think that it's important to have these discussions in an open-minded mm -hmm. and conscious way especially right now as it's related to environmentalism. Mm -hmm. Anything that's got an ism on it, I'm already skeptical of because right. there's going to be a skewed, dogmatic, oftentimes not based in reality point of view. And you know, this idea that farting cows is going to end right. the planet in 12 years and Florida is going to be fucking underwater. Right, like right, I'm right. just not buying it. I'm right. sorry. There were millions of bison on not, oh, I was going to say this nation. I don't know what they had here. Wildebeest maybe before that, but you know, we had 40 million bison or whatever it was across the plains of the United States. We had amazing soil. The air was fine. Those bison were farting presumably as much mm, as yeah. even the worst factory farm mm -hmm. cattle would now. Right. So there's just so many holes in the logic of that. And, you know, you have people now going up to fight for environmental ism um, and they're, you know, their ships get stuck on the North Pole because of too much ice. You know? yeah. So there's just, there's things going on that just right. kind of defeat the narrative there. I don't want to get political with it, yeah. but I will talk about my own observation of, uh, you know, living some of the time as a kid in Colorado and going by these factory farms right. and the smell and just, you look out in a field, it's dry, there's no grass, the right. animals are being tortured. And it's just, you just know, looking at that, that shit's not right. Right. It's right. horrible. Yeah. Absolutely. And then- also, um, because I'm somewhat conscious of these things uh, and decided to not be a vegetarian after all those years and started eating meat, I still uh, wrestled spiritually with the idea mm -hmm. of taking a life. And the fact that, you know, we were talking about this at dinner the other night a little bit, right. um, Keith, is I, I'm kind of a wuss. Like, I don't want to go slit the throat of a pig that's hung up by its hind legs, or mm -hmm. I don't want to go blow a hole in an elk's head and eat it. Like I want someone else to do the dirty work. 
I don't want to go work at a slaughterhouse mm-hmm. for even the best raised grass fed cattle, but I want to eat it because my body wants it. Like that's mm-hmm. the reason that I eat animal products is if I don't, I feel like shit. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, it's a me or them thing. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say, we can agree with everyone that is concerned about the environment, that's plant-based, that has a sense of ecology and kindness towards sentient beings. Mm-hmm. And I also have been to farms that are doing regenerative farming mm-hmm. and raising livestock, and they're taking deserts and turning them into exactly. lush grasslands, right. mimicking the rotation of animals in nature. And you guys mentioned a farm, I think, in Texas somewhere that's, Ranch. that's Ranch. doing this. So. You both give me a little download and perhaps people that, you know, have more of the environmental concerns of like what holistic farming or regenerative farming looks like in terms of environmental impact versus the demonized and rightly so factory farm model. Well, the, the thing is, is that we've been to, so Joel Salatin, um, founder of Polyface Farms as a regenerative farm as, and teaches it to anyone that wants to come learn and same thing goes for Taylor Collins and Katie Forrest, who are the owners of Epic Bars and now Rome Ranch. Um, they everything that they do is in um, in the vein of making sure that everything is regenerative. That they are doing everything that they can to put back to the ecosystem what we've removed and what we've taken away. So they, it's really interesting to go out to their ranch and. Um, just watch. Uh, so they have a very large bison herd and we were able to go out there for a bison harvest and it was done so humanely and with such reverence towards the animal and with such um, gratitude for the animal giving up its life. And what was interesting was, um, and I actually made it there right after they shot the, um, the bison, but the bison was put down while it was grazing. It was not put through some kind of torturous thing where it was being fattened up with a whole bunch of other cattle and then it was being shoved into this chute to go down this maze and then, you know, and they're terrified when this is happening to them and they know this and yet this is still allowed to happen. And, you know, my thought process around all of that, and you probably have the same thought process, is you're consuming that. You're consuming that fear. You're consuming whatever's happened to that animal, you're consuming all of that. So the last thing that I want to do is take part in consuming an animal that actually was killed in a way that was not in reverence or in gratitude to its life. And with uh, just a modicum of decency and, or, you know, and, and respect. And so that was what was beautiful about that. And the, the herd that was around him didn't even blink an eye, nothing. There was no fear. There was no, you know, running. There was no How nothing. How far away was the shooter? It was like 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, so they have it a was, silencer or something? Like, nope. no, it no. was, I mean, they just, just one trying shot. to look around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, what it was, was there was a, they had a number of bulls, I think three or four. And if you know, animal husbandry, you, you, too many bulls are going to start causing problem because they're hierarchical animals are going to fight for dominance. And they had one bull, young bull, that was getting kind of uppity. <laughs> and so you're you know, the first one to become bison jerky, kid. <laughs> right. You better cool it. Um, so it was it was done very naturally. They just uh, kind of walk out in the herd and 
separate the, uh, you know, try to get this single bull separated out from the herd. They got it down to about three. So the main, the main herd is 25 yards off. The other couple are, you know, just kind of hanging and they're just grazing. They don't know what's going on. And the, the shooter who happened to be the CFO for, uh, for Epic, um, it, it just set up, limed up. He was in the back of a truck and he just waited till the animal turned just so he could get a perfectly clean shot. And it was one shot, animal dropped, never knew I'd hit him. Um, and uh, they field dressed there that we got to take part in and got to oh, see, wow. which was mm-hmm. so impressive. I think he weighed out at uh, 800 pounds or something. Yeah. It was huge. Damn. Um, it, was, it was a sight to see him coming in and them bringing him in. And uh, But it was, like I said, it was just a very reverent right. moment of, of being conscious and grateful for the fact that this animal gave his life and then kind of a total different just juxtaposition which was really interesting for us is we spent the day we went through that part we were dressing the animal we were doing the slaughter and and all of that but they took us out um when they did paddock change when they were taking the herd from one paddock field to the next and it was like a party the i have never seen bison hop and jump like that it was oh really right oh my god it was just like it just really fills my heart when i just think about the fact that these animals get the opportunity to live the life they're meant to live they're, they're they getting get to new live grass. their potential I yes mean, they're getting fresh new grass and so they're stoked oh my gosh they were so aware they're totally aware of this <laughs> oh, that's so funny. when they pull into the thing with the with the the trucks that bring them around um, they st- we start dropping these little bricks of food for them because they'll follow it and they know and then they're all ho- hopping and jumping and they're all excited and they're all running around and they're playing and they're kind of it's almost like the high fiving I mean like they're it's it's a it's an it is just a really beautiful sight to watch them when they they do this and they said this is like the best part of our day. It's the most fun thing we get to do. And I'm like, no doubt, man. And it was just so cool. And they, what they do is they go find their biggest animal, the biggest one, because everybody's going to follow that one. And they get him coming along first. And then the whole herd looks up and is like, oh, it's time to go. We're going to go get new food. Yay. And then the, it is, it was just, like I said, it was just a beautiful sight to see because you see animals that are actually living in the in the the natural setting that they were meant to live in, that they were meant to thrive in, that they were meant to be happy in. And the fact that we take that all away from them when we put in confined animal feeding operations and that they live this miserable existence, they're sick, none of them are healthy. I mean, it's just really sad to think that we as humans do that to animals that we are in turn going to consume because we're consuming all of that to know that you get to consume an animal that had a very happy life and that it, it fulfilled its entire, you know, purpose in being here and that it was, it reached all of its potential and it was really a beautiful thing to watch and just watch them all running and, and, and it was, it was just really cool. And the the fact that just that practice in and of itself is regenerating the earth. So Katie and uh, Taylor at Epic, Epic sold recently to General Mills, I believe it was, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Cha-ching. <laughs> yes, but it, and they took a lot of flack for that within the paleo community. Oh, they, oh, they sold out. You know the, the whole. It's going to change right. epic. It's whatever. But what they did was number one, they they maintained quality control of the product, and the other thing that they did was they took a large portion of the proceeds of that sale and put their money where their mouth was. They then took the proceeds of that sale and then went and bought this ranch that was essentially a fallow ranch because I mean, it's they, just barren. Like it was barren. Yeah. Yeah. Because the they had pictures of it and we were horrible. out in one paddock that they haven't, they haven't brought the animals um, on for a while. So they do it in a very, very succinct manner in the way that they re um, the reforestation of the land. It is just the most incredible thing. And they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly how they're doing it. And they're teaching other people how to do this and how to turn this barren land into lush grasslands that they can actually breed animals on. They can farm on if they want to. The But it gets back to, we don't monocrop. We don't do all right. of those things. It's the crop rotation and doing all of that correctly. And they have been, it's just been an amazing thing to watch what they've done. And this was a farm that was, that was following the old practice that takes place in Texas. It takes place across the U.S. of this rotation of cotton, corn, and soy. Right. Cotton, corn, soy. Cotton, corn, soy. Tilling, 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 fertilizing. And it just devastates the land. You do that for 60 years and you get land like at this ranch that they bought that can't support anything. And when I mean anything, like weeds have a there tough time even, growing. Right, yeah, right. there wasn't even fallow. bugs. There yeah, wasn't even it was bugs. Just completely and, barren. Know, obviously, we, you know, the whole pesticide thing, that's a whole other. Mm. Right. And, but you, the problem is, is that the bugs play a part in all of this. They play a role in that. Yeah. Do we want them actually getting into the food? No, we really don't. But there's ways of being able to create land that actually self-sustains and actually gets rid of the bugs that don't, that aren't good for the foods and keeps the ones that are great for building the bacteria, building the soil and putting nutrients back into the foods. And it's, it's just amazing to watch what they've done, but it was one of the things I wanted to kind of go back to is that they took a lot of flack for take um, Mm -hmm. getting bought out by general mills and everybody kept saying, Oh, General Mills is going to change Epic Bars. And Epic went, nope, we're going to change General Mills. And they have. And General wow. Mills has created this entire program mostly because of, of Taylor and Katie to actually support the um, reforestation of lands. And it, they had uh, big executives out there when we were out there that we met um, that were part of this and that were really understanding and starting to realize how much um, what's happened in the past and what they were part of destroyed our our lands and our ability to really provide us good nutrient-dense foods. And so it was really incredible. Right. We're super um, happy to be involved with um, Taylor and Katie. And, you know, Taylor and Katie launched Epic Bars at our 2013 event and sold by the 2015 event to, right. to um, damn to, yeah. incredible that's, that's quick. That incredible is because they knew wow. exactly what they were doing they knew exactly what they wanted to do they knew i mean they just went in with an entire vision plan and everything and mission and uh they just uh, the, everything that they do is really really good they just really have um great processes for how they handle everything and how they 
they, there's a very specific brand voice and mission and vision, and uh, they're impressive. And all of that said, you know, take your eyes off of General Mills. No way. Mm-mm. I mean, we are <laughs> we are fond of saying your most immediate form of democracy is what you buy. Mm-hmm. Follow closely by your attention, where you place your attention. Right. So if you want to change a company, or if you want to throttle a company for doing bad business, you don't buy their products. Right. And you shift what you buy to companies that. That you believe in, well, I think. That, it, yeah, it's really that changes things. It absolutely does. It's it's like when people bitched about you know Walmart carrying organic milk or whatever. I'm like, amen. That's I'm a, like, that's awesome. That's a win. Making sure. these things win. more available to the masses right. and you know educating people that that's even a possibility. Right. And I think that you know going back to the environmentalism piece with you know whether or not you're going to raise plants or animals, um, to me, the most, one of the most devastating cycles in farming is what you described, right. you know, this monocropping where right. you're just, you're making fake soil, mm-hmm. uh, like a, almost a pharmaceutical, um, life support it for is. whatever you're trying to grow. And so it's not about even whether or not you're raising animals or plants. It's like the way in which you're doing it, the methods you're using. Right. And I always think mimicking nature in any given situation is the best. And you can just watch those like animal planet shows of the Sahara and you see um, migratory animals and especially the, the animals, you know, like you're um, in the, in the U S you know, the bison, for example, going back where the animals eat the grass, they take a poop, the bugs come to eat the poop or the bacteria in the poop. And then the birds come and follow that. And then the next thing on the food chain and the next thing and the next thing, the next thing, you know, everyone's gone in a big circle and the grass comes back again, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is, not going to happen if you're growing monocrops of kale. No. As wonderful mm-hmm. as many people think kale in, which I would argue that it's not. And if not. we're worried about carbon emissions, what is the biggest carbon sink there is? It's grass and soil. Mm-hmm. And what supports grass and soil? It's the process you just described, mm-hmm. right. which is led by hooved animals mm-hmm. roaming the land. That's, right. what, that's what kicks off the whole process. Right. So another piece of this is... <laughs> You know, I'm going back to the days of like the, making the decision to break out of vegetarianism just for pure my own survival and having to reconcile spiritually mm. um, the taking of a life. And we were talking about this again also the other night, Keith, is, you know, growing up with my mom in California and not ever being exposed to any animals being raised or slaughtered or anything like that. Like I would have been even probably a few hundred years ago, it would have been really common that everyone was living in a rural area. You raised animals, you ate them. There were no vegetarians or vegans to speak of Mm -hmm. really on any large scale, maybe, you know, in India and different places, but they weren't healthy. (laughs) (laughs) It's another conversation. But anyway, so I'd go out to my dad's and he'd take me hunting and I was horrified by the blood and the guts and, you know, field dressing a bear. And right, these, I mean, right. it was just like horrible. And I, I now looking back, I really don't think it's because it's inherently wrong or evil to take an animal's life with some reverence. Not that all hunters operate that way. Right. I think most do. I think most hunters mm-hmm. care about the land more than most people that are against hunting, to right. be honest. I'm knowing a lot of hunters in my life, but I really think it's, you know, my only exposure to seeing what's on the inside of a living being is from horror movies. I mean, honestly, this is my thing. I want to see what you think. So as a kid, the only like blood or organs or anything I ever saw was in Friday the 13th. Yeah. My dad takes me hunting. A bear falls out of a tree because his hound dogs chased it up there. And they just like, oh, get the bear. They start cutting it open. And I'm like, ah, blood, right, God, right, it's right. intestines. Yeah, it's yeah. like, whoa. Had I been, you know, 
as an infant, mom's holding me, members of the tribe holding me, chickens are getting their head cut off all the time in our mm-hmm. little settlement or whatever. It's just, it would be normal. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't have had that horror movie thing that combined. And I have to credit my friend Daniel for this piece, but growing up on cartoons where animals were made into people. Yes. And they were our friends. Right. You combine that with horror movies and never seen, you know, an animal losing its life in a reverent conscious way or at all. Then the idea of like an animal dying so that I eat it becomes the idea of murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When in fact it's inherently just within the fiber of our being evolutionarily speaking that it would have taken place, but it's our domestication and our being divorced from that, you know, kind of harsh reality that life is taking life constantly that we've become sensitive to that. Right. What's interesting too, is that we also don't, we don't understand too, that when we, if we are reverent in the way that we take uh, an animal's life is that we, out in nature, they are vicious and violent with right, each other. Right, totally. I mean, animals take each other's lives and they are not reverent. They are not, I mean, it is not, if you've ever seen on, you know, Animal Planet or whatever, you've seen a tiger take down a gazelle. It is not pretty it's and it brutal. is not, it mm. is brutal. And it is, it could be really horrifying to watch something like that's all just unfortunately the circle of life that you have to accept the fact that there's nothing wrong with the, the fact that the tiger did this. It's us that makes it wrong or makes things wrong because of all of the imposed things from society and everything telling telling us that these things are wrong. It's, it, it's not. It's just this is all natural circle of life. And that sounds so super cliche, but it's really truly how the whole thing was set up to work is we all at some point become food for another being. And we just happen to be the ones with the biggest brains. So that we're able to make spears and then guns. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I've looked at that too. And when I watch those animal shows, I feel so bad for the gazelle when the pack of hyenas, you know, is chasing. I'm like, come on, go, go, go. They got him. And I'm really sad. But then if you look at it, what about the fucking hyenas? (laughs) They're hungry, man. Like, shouldn't I be sad for them that they missed the gazelle and the gazelle got away and now they're screwed for the next 48 hours until the next herd comes through. So, you know, in a spiritual sense, it's, it's the great mystery of life in this realm is that that violence exists coinciding with, you know, the most abundant love that you can feel mm-hmm. too. And that they're both in this realm and they're both natural. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just the way it is in this realm. I can't speak to other realms, but this is the one that I operate in right now. Um, and it's, you know, it's just another piece of that great mosaic that is this realm. The thing I think is interesting about that you know, having the reverence for the animal. And I think we would all kind of, you know, agree whether or not you eat animals or not, that that's an essential part of it. If you're going to do it, let's hope that's there. But going back to the, you know, the hunting scene, which is not really my scene. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of respect for people that hunt ethically, which again, most do. And there's laws and things that make that more ethical. And there's a, you know, hopefully a balance that's created through those laws. Now that we've disrupted nature so much, there's organizations, the BLM, I guess, has to come in and like make sure that we, we prop it up, you know. Right. But anyway, the the demonization of hunters 
as these like dumbass redneck white dudes that the ism people would be against but no one says shit about like native americans taking down (laughs) animals or indigenous people or hunter-gatherer people it's like oh no they're cool because they're not like a white hunter from tennessee or something you know with the the underlying uh thought being they're not as advanced as we are in the civilized west right Right. that's always the underpinning right which is so elitist and racist in and of itself you know so (laughs) It's a little bit of a, you know, I guess a politicized stance, but I'm, I'm always looking at things, I guess, from like, where's the hypocrisy and the bullshit and something when something just like, eh, this doesn't seem right. I see those things from the other side. And it's like, if you look at all hunter gatherer people and indigenous people for the most part, all over the planet, they're all eating everything all the time, whatever they can get a hold of. But yet most, most people that would be anti eating animals are totally cool with them, but not with well, there's this, uh, certain other people we're are opportunistic it. eaters. I mean, that's just really when you get down to it. If you are, if you're stuck somewhere on you know some deserted place where you can't get to, you become you will eat whatever gets put in front of you. And if that happens to be a rabbit or a, you know whatever it is, you're going to end up ultimately eating it because you're made that way. You are made to survive and to and to ultimately make sure that you go on living and however that may be, it won't, you may not enjoy it, whatever, but that's, what's going to happen. If it comes down to, it's going to be my life or this, this, you know, being's life. That's just how we are. Well, that's how every living organism is, is right? Exactly. It's called optimal foraging theory. Yeah. So every, and I mean, from virus, bacteria, all the way up to people, Every organism, given their abilities, operates under optimal foraging theory, meaning how can I expend the least amount of energy to get the most amount of calories in? Every living organism does that. Now, humans have bastardized that because we've created this human zoo that allows us to get a maximum amount of calories, way more than what we need. given our abilities. And so we've kind of tilted the scales quite a bit, but if you took us back to hunter and gatherer times, we operated under the same theory that a honeybee operates, that a, that a bear operates under, that every living organism operates under. We just happen to have the ability to be able to take in protein, carbohydrates, which allowed us, along with being able to communicate and form tribes to spread across the world very, very rapidly. We just have more tools than other organisms have. Um, and now that's working against us. Right. Because we have more tools and a consciousness, we're able to create these artificial realms around us and create frankenfoods that, oh, by the way, hit every freaking trigger that we have. Dopamine release, just, you know, not uh, no society, foods with no breaks, as Melissa Hardwick likes to say. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just created those for ourselves. But if you realize that, it's much easier to back yourself out of that zoo Mm -hmm. and operate a little bit better. If you understand the rules of the game, you can better play the game. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I've known for a long time that the cannabis plant and the hemp plant are very powerful healing plants. And I was really excited to see some of the government regulations ease up over the past couple years and to be able to watch all of these CBD products flood the market. 
And that's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's good because, wow, now we've got, you know, the opportunity to really research this plant more, to be able to make its use more widespread and safe. You can get many products now that aren't psychoactive. However, I'd be careful with the drug tests. Um, but anyway, you can use the cannabis plant without getting high. You can actually use it as a health product. The problem is, is that there are so many CBD products on the market now, it's really difficult to choose the one that actually works. So my money right now is on Onda Wellness. I'm really excited to tell you about them. I've been using their products for a couple months now, and um, I'm finding it to be very, very effective. And this has a lot to do with the fact that it's a full spectrum oil, meaning all of the constituents that make this medicine work for you are present in the plant and no chemicals at all, even alcohol, are used in the extraction process. So they've invented a proprietary extraction process that gives you the good stuff out of the plant that actually has a medicinal effect without adding any toxins or chemicals to it. And of course, obviously, if I'm going to talk about it on this show, it's organically grown. I mean, that goes without saying, right? So if you want to check out CBD, if you want to get relaxed, if you want to ease up your anxiety, improve your sleep, that's what I use this stuff for. Um, it's pretty awesome, actually. And I just had some before I cut this recording about 20 minutes ago. I'm not even kidding. So go to OndaWellness.com. That's O-N-D-A Wellness. OndaWellness.com. Enter the code LUKE15 at checkout and save yourself a cool 15%. That's OndaWellness.com. The code is LUKE15. Check it out. If you listen to this show, you know that I always say nature is the ultimate biohack, right? So I've been doing a simple and natural therapy in my house every morning and sometimes in the evening for the past three years, and it has worked wonders for me. I've seen a huge boost in my testosterone levels. I have way less inflammation, and my skin complexion has never been clearer. What's the secret? Well, every morning I spend about 10 to 15 minutes in front of my Juve red light therapy system. That's J-O-O-V-V natural light is crucial for your cellular health and most of us don't get nearly enough light for optimal health but with my juve i get a full day's worth of healthy natural light in just a few minutes right in my own home problem solved i mean i live in la it's sunny but honestly some days i don't get out there and do as much as i'd like to so the natural light from a juve supercharges the mitochondria in your cell so your body can make more energy. There's all kinds of health benefits backed up by thousands of peer-reviewed clinical studies for those of you that like that. For the simple version of it, you can just go to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Over there, you're going to get a special bonus from the team at Juve, and you can dive into the research as to the efficiency and legitimacy of this therapy. That's juve.com forward slash Luke. Check it out. And now back to the interview. Well, you brought up the human zoo, which segues perfectly into what I want to cover with you guys next. And that is, I think, often a missing piece because it's the one that requires even more discipline than changing your diet, right? You have, you know, so the paleo diet, people might be having health challenges, autoimmune, et cetera. They read about the GAPS diet or this diet, keto, blah, 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 carnivore, whatever, anything kind of in the paleo, we eat a lot of meat realm, <laughs> yet ignore EMFs, blue mm-hmm. light. Right drinking fluoridated shitty water, uh, you know, all of the things that come with like urban dwelling, like even being, you know, the room we're in now, not to be paranoid. I have my orange glasses on. I'm fine. 
you guys aren't so much. We've got <laughs> overhead lighting, which doesn't exist in nature. The sun right. is hardly ever right over your head. The spectrum of light's wrong. There's flicker in the light. The air mm-hmm. is processed air, like processed food. It's mm-hmm. coming in from outside. Mm-hmm. Probably has chemtrails still in it, depending on the filtration system in here. Uh, we're seated in chairs that would never exist in nature. There's right angles everywhere we look. That mm-hmm. would never exist in nature. So like right now, we are in a human zoo. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's make you know, I don't want to put negativity, but if we spend enough time in here, we're going to be just like animals that they take out of the wild and put in a zoo. Yes. Right. They get sick. The animals in the zoo get sick and need to go to animal hospital and see the vet mm-hmm. because they're in the zoo. If right. they were left alone in the wild, they'd be thriving until, you know, dying of old age, right? Or predation. Yeah. So what have you guys done in your personal life or to promote through your conference, some of the other elements of paleo life in general? Well, you know, the conference... Since we can't go backwards, we can kind of mimic it here and there and patch it together. But unless you want to go live in fucking Alaska in the middle of the woods, (laughs) you you can't, you know, there's no going back. One of the things that we've said all the time is we're not trying to reinvent the caveman days. We're not trying to go back to the cave and spear. What we want to do is leverage technology to become better optimized humans. And so... Um, for us, bringing in people that talk about EMFs, that explain what this looks like, how they can avoid as much of it as possible, it's really impossible for us to avoid them completely just because of now you have municipalities that are bringing in 5G and things like this where you have no say over the fact that you, other than if you go live in Alaska, you the, can choose that. I mean, you And can, even in but, Alaska, you're going to get HARP right. and you're probably going to get military radar, which is even worse <laughs> than like, you know, a cell right. tower. So, you know, you've got, so it's really just, just trying to be really practical about how you deal with what is it? What are the things that you can do to just minimize things in your life? But again, being obsessive about it, it's actually probably worse than what whatever's happening to you. So our whole thing is just being really, um, just trying to be very mindful of the fact that you take precautions where you can and you don't stress over the stuff you can't control. Because at the end of the day, really the only thing that we control is our reaction and our response to everything. So um we bring in talks. Um, it for us, Paleo Effects is a three-day lifestyle immersion event. And we it's for us, it's seven pillars of health. And so you need to cover all of those for people to be fully capable um and flourishing humans. And so we're talking physical health, mental health, emotional health, relational health, financial health, spiritual health, and the last piece, and it I would say probably one of the most important is your tribe. It's your community because we're tribal people who need that connection and need to have community people that are like-minded who think like we do, who um, we can feel like we belong somewhere because at the end of the day, we need to belong somewhere or feel like we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So we bring in all of those elements. And then of course the regenerative agriculture, that part EMFs and really trying to go, trying to get ourselves into a state that is as natural as possible without being okay. We're, we don't want to get tinfoil on things. We just don't want to, you know, it's all of those things just need to be really taken in. And that Um, balance is different for different people. Right. You know, and it's all about what can you do without driving yourself crazy Mm -hmm. and that being more so a detriment than the thing that you're trying to avoid is. Right. And, and that's different for different people. Right. Um, but I, I know it when I see it. I know it when I see the biohacker and the quantified self person who's got just this 
spreadsheet upon spreadsheet of things that they're trying to manipulate, manipulate. and do. And you and you kind of just go, I think maybe that might be obsessive for you. Totally. I think maybe yeah. the cortisol <laughs> that you're that you're receiving by going, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta take care of all these variables might be worse than the variables themselves. And so there's not a definite answer for every one person. I'm raising but, my hands, guys. But, and, well, and I think everybody, yeah. you know, it's a it's a seesaw, it's a teeter totter. You, you know, for a while you might go eh, too far over this way, then you might go a little bit too lax. But if you can try to find a middle ground between all of these things, you know, just the water we're drinking. Can I can I get the best possible water possible? Mm-hmm. And if not, and if I'm really really thirsty and I don't have any other options, well, you know what, tap water is going to be it for at least this drink yeah right and then you know just in every moment you just try to make it goes back to don't let the perfect get in the way of the good so we that's really what we strive for at pillow effects and 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 bringing that to people is um what are the things that you can do to keep your emfs down can you turn off your your devices you turn off your wi-fi at night are you going to be completely emf free no it's not going to happen don't stress over that just let's get it the best that we can be sleeping. Um, you know, obviously we both sleep with a ma- night mask so that we can, you know, make sure our circadian rhythm stays. Those are the things that I think, those are the things that are really controllable. And those are the things that can really move the needle on like particularly sleep or whatever. And being able to um, recognize, okay, when I'm in that moment of a little bit, because this is a thing, I'm a biohacker myself. Not a lot of us female biohackers, but I have. Yeah, unfortunately, I, get yeah. on get on board, girls. Girl. Right. What the hell? We um, but I track just about everything in my. I mean, like I track my everything I eat. I track you know my mood. You name it, I track it. And the thing is, is that if I like, I've skipped some days here, being here in London, and I'm not stressing over it. It is what it is. Well, I'll get back on track of seeing where things are at and if I did some, you know, did something that that caused an issue with sleeping. And mostly I track my stuff for sleep. I track what did I do today that I didn't sleep last night? You know, what did I do? Um, did I eat something? Did I whatever? That's usually for me, I'm usually tracking everything towards sleep um and whether or not I'm gaining weight or whether or not I'm how am I feeling? Did I feel like crap today? Did I did I you know, have, was I in a brain fog? Did I have no energy? All of those things. So those are the things that I try to track for is to make sure that I go back and go, oh, okay. It was because I did this late in the afternoon or I, whatever it is, you know? And then I'm like, okay, I need to really be mindful of not doing that again, because at the end of the day, I really love sleep and I really want to sleep a lot. And so that's, that. those are the things that I think you just like get really key into the things that really are specific for you that really make your life better. If it's not making your life better and it's making you more stressed, then it's probably something you don't need to be worried about. That's a great distinction. You know, when I interviewed Mark Atkinson a couple of days ago, I was asking him about that because I always ask the things that I'm, that I'm working on, you know, yeah. it's like, how do we have this awareness about some of these practices and doing our best to live in alignment with nature and finding that balance, you know, mm-hmm. where we're not too neurotic. And you mentioned the cortisol. I mean, when right. I walk in, or when I walk into a room and I see the lighting, I I get a cortisol response from the lighting, which is just biological, <laughs> right. but also emotionally because I'm like, oh fuck, right. horrible lighting. You yeah. I mean? right. So I was asking him about it, and he had a really great take on it that was much longer than we, you know, I could ever repeat or we have time for. But the essence of it was like, it's not that you have to change 
what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. So mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, if you want to do all the biohacks and the tracking and stuff, great, but are you doing it in a state of stress? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, a lot of the time I am. I walk in my hotel room, I'm like, okay, where's my light bulbs? Mm-hmm. I got to, you know, I'm freaking out, mm-hmm. you know, or I got my EMF meter. I'm like, all right, where's the goddamn router? You right. know, <laughs> but I'm not, you know, I'm not having, I'm not having fun when I'm not relaxed doing that. I'm right. like, oh, this is interesting. Let me just play with this and, you know, surrender if I can't change it. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of uptight and tense about it. So, mm-hmm. It was, it was a great realization for me. Like, no, I can still do me. Like, I like that shit. I like having my MF meter and like figuring it out. I'm a geek. Mm-hmm. I'm a geek. That's who I am. But if I'm doing that with fear, it's like double jeopardy. Now I'm getting the biological hit and the emotional hit from mm-hmm. like living in a state of right. tension and fear, you know? Yeah. So I think for my listeners, a lot of them are super geeks too and probably pretty paranoid based mm-hmm. on our Facebook group where everyone's freaking out about EMFs all the time. Right. <laughs> If I have Jack Cruz on the show once a year, I'm going to like have a fear-based audience for here because he freaks the fuck out of everyone, you know, and rightfully so. But there's a way to approach it, um, right. I think, with a relaxed nervous system. I mm-hmm. think, in, in, isn't this true in everything in life though, right? You realize what the what the danger is or the obstacle and it's how you react to that it mm-hmm. means everything. Should you be mindful of it? For sure you should be mindful of it. But can you actually make a change calmly right now in reaction to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the big key. And again, that's different for everybody. It looks different for Michelle than it looks like for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but Which I think, one of you is more of the biohacker and like more concerned about? I do far more tracking. Right. Okay. But he does a lot more, I would say, experimenting with things that I'm like, eh, I just don't, I'm not interested in that, whatever. Right. So I would say we're kind of like a, kind of pretty close because right. I do a lot more tracking than he does. And a lot more quantifying what's what's going on with me than than he does. He's kind of like that part. He's just like, eh. because one thing that's and this is a big thing for us as people, as humans, and really the probably the biggest snare in the human zoo is that we are so disconnected from our bodies and he is so connected to his. I can tell. Like he knows like he's like, oh, shit, I really should not have done ate, you know, ate this, that, or the other, whatever, he'll be like, immediately he knows that he just fucked up and he shouldn't have done whatever, he ate whatever, or um, consumed something. Or one thing that he just recently started noticing was he's not doing well with alcohol. And he's like, eh, okay, I'm just going to have to nix Sadly. that. Sadly. That oh, makes yeah. yeah. I relate. <laughs> yeah. So he's more into, this is his tracker. You know, he's got an aura ring and everything and he and he does watch some of that stuff, but he doesn't watch it like I do. And his his tracker is really this. His tracker tells him, Yeah, dude, let's not have that that second, you know, you know, tequila or let's not have that whatever it was. Anyway, so he's far more in tune. And the problem is is that most of us are not. And the one thing that I've really gotten myself into is that that state of going, Okay, so today how did I actually feel? Did I, did I have some energy? Okay. And then I'm tracking that. And did I, was I in a good mood? Okay. I'm track that. And did I sleep well? Did I, was I nasty? Was I on edge? Was I the, those are the things that I track and that's me tapping into, but I have to be mindful of it. It just comes through him. So I have to really like sit down and think about it. Okay. And I, Oh, three o'clock, man, I was about to die. I just really wanted to go to sleep. Okay. Something caused that because nor- that's not my norm. You know what I mean? Yeah, so totally. Really being able to 
So I track things, but he didn't have to. And that's one thing I really, back when I was actually coaching people, um, using heart rate variability, I would have them track their heart rate variability, but not look at it first thing in the morning. Um, and I would have my clients wake up, take an assessment, take a moment, just sit with yourself, sit with your feelings, sit and try to get in touch with your body and rate how you feel. Let me know how you feel in this moment and how you think you're going to be able to tackle the day. And over time, to be able to relate a feeling, an internal feeling to what their heart rate variability reading was. Because heart rate variability across the board is a pretty good measure of a person's readiness. Mm -hmm. It's it's probably the, the best thumb rule that I've found. Very, very easy. Again, takes very little tracking. Um, it's a very, bam, quick indication, quick window. But I wanted them to move away from the actual getting the the actual reading to actually feeling what it was inside because ultimately that's what matters. That is the number one indication. And to the extent that you can reconnect with that, you are that much more another step out of the human zoo because a human zoo, if it does anything, it disconnects us from our bodies and how we actually feel. Um, and, and so for, for like tracking, like Michelle has had to be fastidious about her sleep just because of the issues she's battled with before. Mm -hmm. And so she tracks her sleep and it, and it's all about her sleep where I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. You turn off the lights I have five minutes. I'm asleep. I have zero problems sleeping. Um, but she does. And she's really had to track that on the flip side of things. If you were to ask me how much tracking do I do with my workouts and such? Yeah, that's where I geek out and I am really, really fine tuned and I'll, you know, tweak one rep here, one rep there, a range of motion tweak and all of those. So that's kind of where I geek out. Um, and oh, she's yeah, just like, true. yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm totally like, <laughs> on that side. So it just that. Like, depends okay, on... I did, I did, you know, deadlifts she's and like, whatever you want to call them. All right, get I, off my ass. <laughs> I showed up. That's 90% of the battle. That's kind of where I am too. And that's why your biceps are four times as big as mine. <laughs> I want to cover something with you guys in the last Many few minutes here. Not just yeah, no, I know. Humboy's ripped. He's doing he's doing paleo workouts, obviously, and lifting giant boulders every morning or something. Um, but I want to cover something that really like one of the main things I want to talk to you guys about. But I always just have to surrender my little paperwork, you know, right, my manuscript, right. and it just goes where it goes. And I think we've done an amazing job of really diving into some cool shit. But you guys are huge plant medicine people. And I'm sitting here thinking Indeed. about, okay, we're in this human zoo. So we've, we've divorced ourselves from our natural environment. We're eating these unnatural foods. We're going to go back to the paleolithic approach to eating. Let's as ne less neurotically as possible, look at lighting, EMFs, the water, our environment, our sleep, right? What about the idea of paleo psychotherapy, mm -hmm. which maybe you could call um, shamanism right. mm -hmm. and plant medicine ceremonies. Mm -hmm. uh, evolutionarily speaking, that, you know, the elders were our shrinks, right? right? And we're fucked up psychologically. We have trauma, which even right. paleo people had their own version of trauma. You know, mm -hmm. your mom was killed by a bear in front of you or, you know, you were molested by some weirdo or yeah, whatever, right, right, you know, right. shit right. still happened. Um, but there was a different sort of framework by which we could work on ourselves psychologically. Mm -hmm. And so... 
you know, it's like a bad time to bring this huge topic up toward the end. We've got like 10, maybe 15 minutes left, but no worries. you know, how did you guys get into the plant medicine scene and, and what's your perspective on kind of the evolutionary piece of that? Mm. Well, for, for us, what's interesting is we brought it into paleo FX because we thought it was an important um, topic for us to start covering because we believe that as humans, we really evolved because of plant medicines. That we were, when you think about and you look at some of the things that have been created and um, and uh, invented, you just when you once you go into a plant medicine ceremony and you see what that realm looks like, then you start recognizing, oh shit! Now I know how that was created. Like I know where that came from because the the um, heightened state of awareness that you get into in your consciousness and being able to really tap in directly to the divine, in my opinion, um, is a, a place of, I mean, it's unprecedented creativity and ability to see things that are not there that could be. Um, and so um, I can honestly tell you the reason I ever started a plant medicine was simply I wanted to see our daughter who had passed away. That was it. That was the whole reason I went. And I ended up obviously with so much more because we've done a lot of plant medicines. I've done 69 ceremonies in ayahuasca. Keith has done 65. Um, and then we've also done a lot of Wachuma ceremonies now. And so um, we've done combo, you name it. We've we've tried a lot of different things, getting ready to do an MDMA therapy here soon. With each other? Um, yes. We're gonna oh, do, well, we're, I'm going to do one by myself and then um, we're going to, and then we're going to do an MDMA. Like with therapy. a clinical practitioner or yes. with a shaman I'm, I'm going to do an MDMA therapy with a clinical oh, practitioner. Cool. And then, Out in Texas? Yes. Oh, cool. And um, they will, re- they will remain unnamed. Yes, right. they will remain unnamed. And so I, I'm assuming the laws there aren't that friendly with that. Yeah. Okay. I, you know what? Texas now is a with little the backwards FDA, in general. It is a little bit, but now that the FDA has approved the MDMA therapy for right. um, PTSD and that type of thing, I think you're, we're going to start seeing some things come across the board a little bit when, when you start seeing things, we're going to start seeing things change there. I think um, it's going to take a while for Texans. We are a little backward, but at the end of the day though, my whole thought process was I ended up with so much out of um, the plant medicine ceremonies, stuff I didn't know I needed. And I honestly, and he would, we were very open about this. I honestly believe that if we had not started plant ceremonies, Keith and I would not be married anymore. Like I think he would have divorced me a long time ago. And I'm, totally open about that because I was a, such a completely different person back then. Everything was, I was stressed out about everything. I was a bitch about everything. I did not, I, my, I was in a constant state of fight or flight. I was just, everything was just, I so focused on exactly the shit that I didn't want. So what's going to happen when you focus on something, you're going to get what you're focusing on the shit I didn't want. And it just was a consistent thing that just kept coming. I was constantly looking for what I didn't want and realized very quickly through plant medicine that focus on what you want. When you start focusing on what you want, you're going to start getting what you want. And so those were the, some of the things that came up for me. Then, you know, I know one of the, probably one of the most um, profound um, things that came through for me was of course, 
the first thing that was, you have this belief that you have control. I mean, you hear about people that are control freaks and that they have to have control and whatever. And it's such an illusion. Like we have no control. (laughs) We have no control. And just the idea as humans that we think we have that kind of power is hilarious to me (laughs) because this is, this is the only thing that you get to control is this and how this, if it reacts or if it responds to something. And in my opinion, Reaction is very knee-jerk and usually not pretty. It's usually something we we regret. It's usually something that we're like, oh, that's, uh, that I can't believe I said that or I can't believe I did that, whatever. And response is mindful and it's intentional and it takes time. It's patient. It's not, this is, I have to get this out now and you know everybody's going to hear how I feel and whatever. And that's how I, I reacted to everything. I didn't respond to anything. And um, and my life was evidence. And I was a complete example of that because I was constantly angry and constantly irritated and agitated by people and the people that loved me and that I loved. And so it that changed profoundly for me. And then there was this, the probably the biggest moment for me was recognizing I didn't want control. What I wanted was... Nor could you ever have it. Nor nor could you ever have it. But it's like that, again, it's that illusion of that you are controlling things because I'm I'm the CEO and co-founder of PaleoFX. Therefore, I control PaleoFX bullshit. <laughs> PaleoFX is its own thing. <laughs> like I, you know, could, you know, make things go a certain way, but I never really ever had control. And what I realized was that I didn't want control. I wanted influence. And there's a big difference between those because if you are living in a way that's in alignment with who you really are and in what you really want and that you um, you are expressing to the world the inner part of who you are and that's a, a place of grace and love and kindness and, and everything. And I'm not by any means perfect at this at all. Obviously, this is a constant work in progress. But when you start showing that, to other people, they respect you. They trust you. They want to follow what you're telling them you want you want done here. And when you can lay out a vision for what you want, particularly paleo effects, and you do it in a way that allows people to be who they are in paleo effects and to have autonomy and to be able to um, bring to the table their gifts and their passions and their talents and everything, and you don't squash that, which I did, I did that a lot, um, was, is allowing it to grow and to flourish and allowing me to grow and to flourish. And again, allowing people to choose for me to influence the way they're doing things. And that was super profound in plant medicine. So I ended up with so much more than just, you know, being able to see Brittany in ceremony was, getting this opportunity to recognize that I um, I could have the things that I want in my life if I focused on those and I stopped focusing on all the shit that I didn't want. And the problem is, is that we're constantly in that state of, I, and then we do this with like our kids too, is um, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't, right, right. I, don't you know, fall off the thing. Yeah. Don't be late. Don't <laughs> right. whatever. It's always the thing we don't want them to do instead of saying you need to be on time. 
you, you know, I would like for you to do this, I, you know, as opposed to whatever it is you're telling them they can't do. And so the problem is, is that's just how we've, we've all learned to, to be in this world is to constantly and consistently tell others what we don't want from them instead of what we do want from them. And so that's been for me the most profound change. And I think ultimately it ended up making me more lovable. Right. It did. <laughs> I think I mean, for- you guys have been together for eons. So it must right. have been something, right. Especially being in business together, man. That's like, tough. I and mean, that's a that's whole other, tough. there's a whole that's other a whole podcast. Other thing, but, yeah. I'm not even going to dive into right. that, but I, I am aware of that because I had a business with um, a girlfriend of mine for a number of years and that's you know, there were other factors, but it was, we didn't have the skills necessary to handle both. And mm. it ultimately was part of a wedge in the relationship. Right. So it's, well, a conversation, we'll have at a later time. Right. Yeah, for sure. At least not being a bitch because you had some self-awareness from ayahuasca. It sounds like a good start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it immediately made me really recognize, it, it makes you recognize the potential, the human potential that you have of who you can be right. if you work on who that person is instead of, you know, consistently going through the slog of the day and just, you know, we we get on autopilot and and um we're not intentional we're not mindful we don't we don't allow ourselves to also just be in in things and so and the other piece too and I kind of was that's where I originally wanted to start with this was you know we don't we had mechanisms way back I mean we have them innately in our bodies but we don't use them in fact we shut them down to release trauma from our bodies. And the right. problem is mm-hmm. we now do that with our kids. So it's like our child's crying. And the first thing we, oh, stop crying. You're going to be okay, blah, blah, blah. Just let them feel it. Let them go through that emotion. Let them get it out because that's part of the mechanism of getting rid of the trauma. Because ultimately we we all know this is that trauma ultimately becomes disease in the body because it's trapped and it doesn't have any way to get out. And so we know we have uh, really great facilitators in, um, that that have taught us TRE, which is trauma release exercise. And Keith just recently was able to train with David Berselli, who is the creator of it. But it's that's part of the issue is that we hold on to those traumas. And sometimes people allow the trauma to become their identity. And that's something that I right. like. Growing Ooh. into the victimhood model yeah. of like right. who I am is a victim of past experience. Total, and right. totally identifying with that right. victim mentality. Um, right. And, and to the extent that you can break free of that, you, you're, you're free. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But that, that takes work, as does forgiveness. You know, both of those things, being able to truly forgive those who have trespassed against you, truly forgive them. Um, that and not identifying with that victim mentality that's mm. and it's tough and i think these plant medicines help facilitate that and make it much easier to do it's still not easy it's easier mm-hmm. if you do the work um but i think those are the two of the biggest benefits is realizing that and for me it was just you know i as a kid i never wanted to be an astronaut but there was something about the goings on of the the psyche that i was super interested in of course, I went the wrong way, you know, for being a child of the 80s. If, if it was manufactured, I took it in an excess. So, <laughs> I, and I, I went about it the wrong way. And I yeah. think, you know, just very, very quickly running across Terrence McKenna's book back in the early 90s, it was uh, Food of the Gods, which I would recommend to anybody if you're in true consciousness exploration and, and what he thought it was that 
spurred the growth of our creativity, which is essentially stumbling upon psilocybin, which was what his theory was. And that's what spurred this just 50,000 years ago, you know, up until that point, we kind of muddled the wrong and, you know, it took us a hundred thousand years to, to make a variation on a spear tip. And then 50,000 years ago, all of a sudden something happened that just, you know, very, very quickly we put a man on the moon, which is, you know, in evolutionary terms, it's like, what the hell happened? It's just hockey stick and creativity. What his theory was, we stumbled upon psilocybin and other plant medicines. Um, I remember seeing Dennis at your event. Right. And, uh, Freaking yes. great. Yeah, I, was, to I, was, event, I wanted man. to interview him so bad and it was like people were around him. I didn't want to interrupt. And then afterward, I was like, God damn it. Why are you such a wuss? Right. Like, just go oh. up and be like, yo, be on my podcast. Yeah. He's such a cool guy. <laughs> he too. is. Yeah, he's his, so cool. <laughs> his presentation on ayahuasca and the history right. and, you know, where it exists in the planet, you know, just the whole, his knowledge base on it was insane. It was mm. actually one of the things that motivated me to finally like, oh, you know, maybe there is something there. because. Right. I didn't really think psychedelics in general were my path because of my history, which sure, was much yeah, like right, yours. It's right. like, what? That's why would I do that? You know, right. I've got to like do it the hard way, just like little by little. <laughs> right, I don't right, want to right. take a shortcut, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. And uh, thank God I, I did. I don't know if I would ever say an eight hour ayahuasca <laughs> journey is a shortcut. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but after it's, it's I a, yeah. did it, I <laughs> yeah. realized like, oh yeah. And it wasn't, you know, I didn't have a terribly hard time. Mine was a lot like yours. I was, the first three nights I was laughing my ass off just yeah. at like how stupid it is to think you're controlling anything. Right. right. And then there was, you know, also moments of healing and releasing mm-hmm. trauma and you know, all of that. But anyway, we've already, I've already done six freaking hours of podcast about it. But what was that thing you mentioned? TRE, trauma release. Trauma right. release exercise. Is that part of a psychedelic experience or is that in and of itself just a stone cold sober it, practice? You can do it either way. Um, oh, it's yeah. really great for uh, preparing your body for um, downregulation of your central nervous system for Wachima. Right. Which oh, is San wow. Pedro. Yeah. And no, I did some of that yesterday um, <laughs> before an San, Pe- <laughs> San Pedro or TRE? No, or San both. Pedro. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a microdose and some yeah. chocolates. Right, right. You yeah. know, nice. but. Dude, I was kind of foggy when I did the interview with Dave and then I, I wasn't like super on point, which is unfortunate because it was an important interview. But the next one I did was after I had the San Pedro chocolate. Oh yeah, that mm-hmm. stuff and will I was, kick you right in. Dude, I was so crystal clear and like heart connected. We were laughing. We yeah, had such nice. a great time. Yeah, I was like, it's hmm, beautiful I want to explore some more of that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. We have amazing facilitators. Really? So, yes. All right, I'm coming yeah. to Austin. Yeah, you need to. We have, uh, they're incredible. They're the best. So it's 535, you guys, and I promised you a hard out at 530, and I think it was pretty firm. It was pretty hard. Wow, that's a weird way to end a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, lastly, because we'll, we'll we'll have to do another deep dive into yeah, the whole plant medicine sure. thing, because right. you guys told me some stories the other night that were freaking nuts. And um, <laughs> after 60 plus ceremonies, I'm sure there's a lot You've more. You've seen that just about from. everything there is to see after yeah. 60 plus ceremonies. Yeah, I, I the good, imagine the bad, the so. Uh, but in closing, just briefly, I'd like from each of you, if you could recommend three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life that our listeners might be able to go explore. Wow. I, I, for me, I brought up uh, Terrence McKenna and Dennis McKenna too. It's just that Terrence happens to have the voice and the charisma of the, of the two, Dennis being more academic. But early on, he was such a powerful influence in, in the psychedelic area right and this was at a time where psychedelics were you know obviously painted as a party drug and you know escapist route and all of these things and dennis was 
or Terrence rather was saying, no, this is, is you have to be a hero to dive into your own consciousness because you don't know what you're going to dig up. And there is some scary chambers in there. And indeed there are. Um, and so he is really the one that made me look at plant medicines and psychedelics from a serious and really a more spiritual point of view. Um, Buckminster Fuller for me was a huge influence. I've read so much of his stuff and just, uh, just mind blowing in uh, his breadth of knowledge. Um, God, there's just so many people that I would, uh, man. And on the strength and conditioning side, I'll, I'll flip way back and go go totally bro. But um, you know the whole Westcott, the whole West Side community, Louis Simmons, and that on the strength and conditioning um, bro side of science. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> su- such an undersung genius in that realm. And I just can't believe that the more traditional strength and conditioning people being in the NFL and in, in college football or all college athletics, all Olympic athletics, I can't believe that they haven't tapped into that knowledge base. It's just unreal. I've never heard of it. Oh my God. If there's any way you can get Louis Simmons on your podcast. Oh, he's yeah. around still. Oh, he's still oh, yeah. around. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, he yeah. works Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Oh, 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 he's goodness. Okay, well, he is a character. Just kind of Google around and check him out. Yeah, yeah. cool, cool. Uh, All right, good to know. Yeah. How so about you? for me, um, Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. Oh my God, yeah. Right. Best, one of the best things oh, yeah. I've read and done and, and really just kind of taken it in and sat with it and been like, okay, wow. Um, I, just, I just remember thinking, oh yeah, I'll get somebody sit meditate for like six or my feet would hurt i just started started doing that mental like inventory like oh my gosh you know wow um so that's a big one for me um another big one and actually really for both of us is um human design it's Mm. been really critical in our relationship it's been critical in me understanding who i am as a human and how i so powerful such a powerful Um, it has been crucial to our business it's how we hire people really yeah Yeah. Um, damn are you serious do you guys do the disc test or myers-briggs or any of those other design we ask them beyond that it is so far beyond it yeah but we will have people tell us they're myers-briggs do you know whatever but honestly it comes down to what's their design because um, I I operate a certain way and it's just how I am. And there are some things that are, um, it's interesting. Keith and I actually went through human design marriage counseling with the, the woman that we that we consult with her all the time on human design. And she's just incredible. She's would she amazing. be a good one to interview about oh, it? Oh, absolutely, my God. She, yeah. Oh, you would love her. Oh, yes. You would so you connect love her. me with her, yeah. would you? I, well, I definitely will. Because I've wanted to cover, it's not something I know a lot about. I've done it and, yeah. you know, like friends and people around me are subscribe to it but i'm i'm always looking for like the person oh, oh she's yeah. like she who's is. badass she actually trained directly with raw who was the person that downloaded Done. um yeah the um uh human design and then he actually had a counterpart richard rudd who ended up ultimately breaking away and creating gene keys more so on the human design side than I am on gene keys, but my gene keys are definitely dead on. Mm -hmm. And it's really, so she trained with both of them. She's worked with Eckhart Tolle. She's just, she's an amazing woman. She's got, and she can combine astrology and everything with it. She's super woo and she's super, but she's also super practical. So she's just common sense. Barbara Ditlow. And uh, we love you, Barbara. Anyway, she actually is going to be sitting in on my hiring process this week right now. Wow, Um, where's she based? 
Austin. Oh, wow. Cool. And all the cool people are in Austin. Right, right. I, I know. That out yet? <laughs> anyway, so she's, um, so working with her, we actually sat down and our very first marriage counseling session with her, she did most of the talking and it was, and she was just telling. And she, she was spot on. And she was spot on. And what was interesting is she did a reading for Keith for himself, me privately. Then she did one as a couple. This was before we ended up needing marriage counseling. And then later on, we started realizing, oh, we need to bring her into the into the, the business and all of that stuff. And when we sat down and started talking to her about you know our marriage counseling, she was just like, okay, this is how she is on this and it's non-negotiable. And here's all the stuff where you can negotiate. And then this is how he is and this is non-negotiable and this is where you can... And she just really went through and explained how things work and that we took a lot of things personal that had nothing to do with the other person. It was just how we are, how are we're how we're wired and how we work. And so I always describe human design as your underlying operating system. It's just how you are. It's who you are. The problem is, is that most of us don't operate in alignment with our human design. We'll recognize it when we hear it. We're like, oh shit, that's actually really, but I try to fight that. And when you try to fight that, you end up ultimately just hitting a brick wall over and over and over and over again. And you end up not being having the success that you desire or that you want. And she's just made things tremendous in that area for us because it changed everything when we started using her to hire, when we started really working on our relationships in this realm. We know what our kids' designs are. We know, I mean, we have a brand new grandbaby that we haven't met yet, but we know his design. Oh, and cool. we know how what that's going to look like as he grows up and and want to help him nurture that, that he he really taps into. The problem is, is we're always told you need to work on your weaknesses. You need to just let those go and work on what you're really strong at and really become the best at that type of thing. And that's that's one of those things. So human design, big deal for me and for Keith. Mm-hmm. And um and then the other thing is is just totally on a completely self-development side is probably one of the people that's had the most impact on us personally because we had an op- we had an opportunity to sit with him um uh personally was is Darren Hardy who was the um editor of Success Magazine and so we sat down with him a few years ago and uh we are part of a company called ID Life our part of the company is ID Life Wellness and so when we had this opportunity to sit down and talk to him, he was like asking us about our business, meaning PaleFX, and is it, you know, how is it? Is it successful? And we were like, well, it's fundamentally successful, but, it, you know, financially, we don't care as long as it, you know, as long as we break even. And he was like, okay. And he kind of looks at us and he's like, business that just breaks even. And he's like, what's the point of that? I, what's your point of it? And I'm like, well, our whole thing is we just want to reach more people. We just we want to change more people. the world. We just want more people. We're a company. <laughs> yeah. We want to make, you know, we want this information out to people. And as long as it breaks even, we're okay. And he goes, can I say something to you? And you just like kind of hear me and just be open to it. And I'm like, sure. And he's like, you know, it's great that you are mission motivated. You're not money motivated. He said, but I just want you to be open to it. If you make more money, you can touch more people. <laughs> and we were like, oh shit. Okay. And the light bulb at that moment went off and we were like, we went back and changed all of our businesses and realized that we were, we're actually a service to humanity. And there is, we had a nick factor around making money and we realized that there was really no better way to make money than to help people become healthier and to 
you know, gain sovereignty over their own life and um, and not be dependent on any government or entity or anything like that. And so, anyway, that's very everything. cool. I, yeah. I appreciate that perspective. That's very Tony Robbins. You know, I mean, it look is. at that guy. Like, I used yeah. to think, oh, he's just all about money and teach mm-hmm. you how to get rich. Like, yeah. fuck that. It's vapid. But then you actually. At least for me, experience some yeah. of his work and see all the things he's touching in the world. They would not be possible if he wasn't rich as hell, right? Right. You exactly. Know? So yeah, and the people's lives that he changed. Yeah, it's so it's, it's yeah. insane. Well, cool, man. Um, where can people find your website, social media, etc.? PaloFX.com, PaloFX on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I, me personally, I am Be the Grace on Facebook, Be the Grace Women on Instagram and Twitter. Cool. And uh, ditto all of that. Um, I am theory number two practice on Instagram. Um, the very creative Keith Norris on Twitter and <laughs> <laughs> Facebook. Um, and I, I also still keep up with a blog, theory to practice blog. It's And that is at ancestralmomentum.com. And we won't even get into how that how that website <laughs> name was created, a whole other story. But anyway, I have a blog there. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for joining me, guys. And it's been an amazing weekend. And I'm so glad that you two were a part of it because you made it even that much more special. Well, thank you. Thank right. you so much for having us. We yeah, really thanks it. for coming out to a first year event and taking a chance. Yeah. Because like, it, oh, man, I wouldn't miss anything. It, it could go dicey, right? <laughs> I mean, first year events, but. Uh, Oh man, what an event. Thank it's you very a, much for coming out yeah. and supporting. My absolute pleasure, man. It was a great opportunity and uh, and very fulfilling in so many awesome. ways. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Thanks, awesome. you guys. Right about now would be a good time to pop a cap and congratulate yourself because you just made it through the 243rd episode of the Lifestylist podcast. If you're an OG listener, this means that by now you should about have a PhD in how to live a good life. If this was your first episode of the show, here's what to do next. Look down at that podcast app, whichever one you're using, and click subscribe. By doing this, you will not only help support the show, because if you subscribe to the show, the device that you're on will automatically download each and every episode, which means transparently more downloads for yours truly and the show, which ultimately means the show gets more exposure. Uh, What is good about that for you is that you don't have to think about next week when the new show comes out. It's just going to appear magically on your device or computer. So click subscribe. And even if you're a longtime listener, if you subscribe, then every week, each new episode pops into your feed automatically rather than you having to refresh it. I notice myself as an avid podcast listener that sometimes I forget to subscribe to a show that I like. And then when I check their feed, it looks like there's nothing new and I have to go down to I think it says like view all episodes and then scroll and scroll and scroll. And then I see the new one. In fact, I did that today with my friend Matt Blackburn's podcast, Mito Life. And I, I clicked on it and I was like, wait, that was last week's show. Doesn't he, hasn't he put one out? And I had to refresh it. Then I realized, Luke, take your own advice, click subscribe. And then all of his episodes suddenly appeared. So um, that's how you do the podcasting game, folks, for ones that you want to come back to. And hopefully this episode inspired you to do so. Let's thank our sponsors, Raw Optics. You got to protect your brain, your eyes, your melatonin. Don't F with blue light at night, guys. If you're a paleo person, if you're looking at artificial light at night, you're not paleo. I hate to break it to you. So you got to make paleo lighting. I believe in paleo water, which is fresh spring water collected from the source. Um, There's a lot of different elements to living, you know, in the modern world and 
harnessing as many ancient ancestral practices as possible. Now, I love my devices. I love the fact that I can walk in my house and flip on a switch, that I can drive my car around at night with those crazy-ass headlights. But you best believe once it gets dark, uh, I'm using incandescent lighting. I'm using orange, red, amber lighting everywhere. And if that's not the case, I'm wearing my raw optics glasses. You can get those at rawoptics.com, R-A optics. And the code there is lifestylist to save 10% off. You can also get your juve red light therapy. That shit will make your room hella red. You throw on a juve in any room. It's a blinding red light uh, in the best way possible. And you go to juve.com forward slash Luke, enter the code Luke at checkout and get a free gift. And then Onda Wellness, my favorite CBD company. Go to ondawellness.com, enter the code Luke15 to save 15% off. I'm obsessed with this stuff. In fact, when I have show sponsors, oftentimes, which is the, the way that I prefer is they send me free product periodically, right? And I'll do, you know, an Instagram post or something and just use the product so I can legitimately promote it on the show. And uh, Onda Wellness is one that's been very generous with me, but I crushed so much of that CBD product that I always run out. Right now, I have a good supply because I just ran into them at uh, Mercado Sagrado, an event that I did recently, and then they were also presenting there. Uh, but man, the Onda Wellness CBD, like they're on another level. And I'll be doing a podcast with um, Stephen Smith, their founder, early 2000, actually probably come out realistically in spring. 2020, uh, where you can learn all about their practices. But not only is it just a great full spectrum product and what I think is more potent than most of the other CBD brands on the market, which I'm sure you've noticed is a highly saturated market. Someone just sent me some CBD gummy bears yesterday and I'm like, "Mm, these don't taste like CBD. These taste like gummy bears. (laughs) When you take own to wellness products, man, it tastes strong. It's super potent. But what they're doing that's so cool is they're actually really conscious about the environment and you know we'll get into this more in the later podcast but um steven was breaking down for me like the use of plastic in the hemp industry it is gnarly it like rivals coca-cola in terms of worldwide plastic um pollution it's just insane and they don't do that at onda they're just they're rad great company i'd love you um love for you to experience their products and to support them In addition to finding those brands at their own websites, you can find all of this stuff so easily, you guys, at lukestory.com forward slash store. I've really been putting a lot of energy into building out the online store where I don't, in fact, directly sell anything because I don't make anything as of yet. Although I hope to someday when I come across something unique and groundbreaking. Uh, But what I do is I just link out to all the products that you'll find in my own house. So as I sit here... Uh, at my desk recording this podcast outro. I've got the Nano V sitting here next to my iMac. Let me see what else do I have in here. I've got a Juve hanging on the wall. And I, oh, and then I have a Defender uh, Defender Shield case on my phone. It's like pretty much everywhere you look in my house, especially in my kitchen, my supplement cabinet, which is like now taking the place of a food cabinet. Uh, you will find all the stuff in my store. And um, after years of people asking me, about my top product recommendations. I just decided to house them all in one store. What's cool about that for you is that you don't have to do the research and find, for example, what I think is the best CBD company, uh, biohacking technologies, etc. I'm going to vet them, research them, talk to the founders, use it myself. If I think it's legit, I'm going to put it on my site. That saves you time and energy. 
And also, in most cases, I offer an exclusive discount code on my website. So anytime you're wondering about a particular product, you can just go to lukestory.com forward slash store and everything is neatly categorized into the different um, parts of your life, whether it be outdoor fitness stuff and supplements and herbs, biohacking, EMF protection, etc. So everything's super easy to find. You get a discount, saves you the research, and you're also supporting some of the best brands in the world because not only do I like brands that make products that are good for people, I like brands that make products and companies that are good for their employees, good for their communities, good for the environment, good sourcing. I like companies that make the transactions they do around the world fair for everyone as much as possible. So you're supporting some um, some great people that have integrity in the way that they do their business. And also you're supporting the work that I'm doing and the show because in many of the cases, especially the ones where there's a discount, I have an affiliate account with those particular uh, companies and I get a small commission when you buy something through the site. So you get a discount, I get a commission, helps me pay my team for video editing, social media, podcast editing, graphic design, running the website, etc. So it's a really cool time we live in sort of in this um, you know, independent media slash influencer type of business where there's kind of more of a direct relationship and more transparency for everyone in terms of like who's getting paid, why, when, how. And uh, in this particular arrangement, such as we've developed in my online store, I feel so good about it. I sleep like a baby at night because I've got my cooler um, cold pad under my bed. No, um, there's a lot of things in my store that are great for sleep, but I sleep like a baby because I have a great conscience feeling like the revenue that I make from my store, which is, you know, of course, like not enough to live on, but it helps pay the bills um, that it's a three-way relationship, sort of a um, non-sexual menage a trois, as it were, where the brand benefits by getting great new customers like you. I benefit from having the work and my team supported, and you benefit from getting discounts and getting products that are pre-vetted for you. So it's a very cool kind of 360 beneficial relationship, which I think is where commerce in general, at least conscious commerce is headed. So that's the story with the sponsors who I'm very grateful for. And more than anything, I'm grateful to you and my guests and just another day of being able to wake up and do what I do. It's just, it's ridiculous (laughs) to be honest. I mean, there's hard work that goes into the content and, you know, the speaking and the different things that I do. I mean, it's not just like I'm fucking around. I mean, I definitely work really hard. If you follow me on Instagram, which by the way, you should at Luke story, don't forget the EY. Uh, I'm nonstop. You know, I work my ass off, but it's the kind of work that I enjoy because it's work that I'm passionate about and it's work that benefits so many people. And if you want the work to benefit even more people, you can help that cause by simply sharing this episode or any episode to follow with a couple friends, just um, text, email, do an Instagram story, something like that. In closing, again, I've got a show this Friday. It's a solo Q&A show where I answer questions from the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. And next Tuesday, I'll be back with uh, who was my very first guest on the show uh, three years ago, Daniel Vitalis, who's become a good friend and has an amazing new project about modern day hunter gathering. And uh, this conversation that drops Tuesday is off the charts. I'm just going to tell you. 
I'm not one to toot my own horn, but uh, Daniel and I really hit a stride. We went for, God, I think like almost three hours. And this was on Skype. We weren't in person. And it's usually like after an hour on Skype, I'm like, cool, I think we're done. Let's wrap it up, guest. And we, you know, pull the plug. I could have kept going for another three hours. Like Daniel is just so fascinating, so knowledgeable and just such a cool guy. I mean, it's just by the end of it, we're like about to dive off into the nuances of like how delicious pigeons are and the history of pigeons. And then we're like, okay, we're going into the deep water now. We'll cut it off. But seriously, Tuesday's show is fantastic. And I'm so excited about his new project called Wild Fed, where he goes out and forages for fungi. Is it fungi or fungi? Everyone says it differently. And I guess I'm just going to say it wrong because I don't believe anyone. Uh, Fungi, fungi, uh, wild plant foods, and then of course, fishing and hunting in a very conscious way, very reverent, dedicated sort of practice that he's built um, as a lifestyle really. And then he's also a big foodie a great chef and hangs out with a bunch of great chefs up in the Northeast. And so Wild Fed is this TV show and a new podcast where he um, goes out and, you know, hunts and gathers the most amazing nutrient dense wild foods of plant, fungi and animal nature and then takes them and actually makes these like ridiculously beautiful culinary masterpieces using those foods. And that's what his show Wild Fed and the podcast is about. So I'm really happy to support what he's doing. Um, It's just, it's fantastic. It's like beyond organic life. It's totally amazing. All right, that's it, man. I'm done. That's a 12 minute outro. Might be the longest one I've ever done. If you're still hearing my voice right now, you are a super fan. And for that, I truly love and appreciate you. I'll be back Friday and then again next Tuesday. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.